and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, a man who, just like Sammy Hagar, can't drive 55. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Coming off a 10-0 Tigers loss here on Saturday. I had to I had to go stop at a convenience store and get some Advil. That's that's how I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it's uh, all the advances in technology and telemedicine. It's a little unfortunate you couldn't get something a little stronger. Maybe <laughs> maybe maybe a prescription drug because. Uh, whoo. Okay. So a couple a, a couple things. A couple things. Um. As you mentioned, we're recording this Saturday night. This is going to be two parts, but we're just going to put in the same podcast. Just a little PSA for the folks out there. We're recording Saturday night for the storylines of the team, and then we'll record after the, the Tigers have their first-round draft pick, and then we'll we'll catch up on Sunday's game, anything noteworthy, and then obviously give our instant analysis and then we'll just put it up as one podcast so that's a PSA there and you mentioned needing an Advil uh I'll be honest like as that game was going on you know I I don't sleep as much as I should I also don't take naps like I'm just like physically incapable of taking naps and I was like getting pretty drowsy I was getting pretty drowsy during that game and then the middle innings came and my boy Cody's on the radio with Dan Dickerson. Um, this is not an exaggeration. It gave me some life. I was like, there's some real stuff happening here. I actually kind of went outside. It's 104 degrees outside. But I was like, ah, I'm just going to set, hang out outside, You know, get a little sweat in, get a little tan in, listen to Cody with Dan on the radio. I don't really need to watch the game at this point. I'll just listen to what's happening. And... It, it gave me it gave it gave me some juice. It gave me some juice. I'm hoping to to bring it here on this podcast. And to you and Dan's credit, and I'll give Dan a little bit more credit because you know it is his broadcast. You know you're the guest. He was kind of like, yeah, we're we'll, we'll tell you what's happening in the game, but we're really gonna talk about some bigger picture stuff here. It was almost like a. It's kind of like a little mini podcast with just some game action interruptions, uh, which which I appreciated. I think I think other people appreciate it too. It's like let's get to some real stuff here, um, especially as much as you can with the officially you know team sanctioned broadcast and all that stuff, you know. And uh, so I, I guess I, I would probably say, did it kind of remind you a little bit of being on with Dan during spring training? Where it's like, all right, this is happening, but all right, what's the what, what's the big talking points here? Did it kind of remind you of that? Because it reminded me of that as a listener. Yeah, it was a lot more like that, and you know, I was still kind of letting him call the pitches, and then as the as the innings wore on, he just kind of stopped calling some of the pitches, you know. So I was like, all right, I guess guess we're just gonna free flow this for the <laughs> you know very much like spring training. Um, definitely how it was. Glad I gave you some life because someone on Twitter told me I needed to, uh, take a double shot of espresso and actually say something interesting. So, uh, <laughs> whoa, yeah, yeah, whoa, it's good. Sometimes, sometimes you need the motivation. Sometimes you need the, the fuel from the haters, you know? Ah, oh, man, I got, I got, I got beef. <laughs> I got beef now. 
I don't even know who that is. I got beef now. And I don't know. It, that, obviously, I didn't see that because no one's adding me about it. But no, that's, uh, that is, as we would say, Big 12 Media Days for this past week, Cody. That is fiction. Fiction. Uh, as, as Mike Gundy would say. All right. So some, 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 some stuff on the field this week. <sighs> you know, it's, it's, it's not a lot of good to say. We, we, <laughs> we were trying our best in our last pod to be positive. You know, what was it like? Six and two, you know, was the record. And it was like, yeah, this is great, but you know, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and then they go and, and go one and six leading into Sunday's game and outscored again this is leading into Sunday 40 to 18 woof it was a rather lifeless week from the tigers and as i look for reasons there's obvious ones roster deficiency production deficiency i also think this was how i best phrase this I think this was an exam. I think this was a team burnt out. Now the example of like you know the All Star break is really needed or whatever. But when you talk about what was it, uh, eighteen games or nineteen games in seventeen days or you know whatever that ratio was. I'm sorry I can't remember the top of my head. A couple double headers in there. Uh, this seemed like a team that just was really burnt out. And and in, in fairness, reasonably so. It's a lot of games in a row, travel, not sleeping in your own bed. Like, it, it just kind of happened this way. And we had talked about it in the weeks leading up about how this stretch and lead up to the All-Star break uh, was brutal. And it just seemed like, like the expected outcome in a way for a team capable of exciting moments, but also capable of having some real dulls. And then having this many row games, this many games in a row, period, kind of coming to a head this week. Is that, um, and I don't want this to make it sound like I'm making excuses, but that, that just, that's what I was watching. I was watching a team that was dead because of schedule and logistics and lack of talent. And you throw those all in, in, in a pile and then you say, all right, go play 17 days in a row with a couple devil headers. Uh, this is kind of what you would get at the tail end of it. Does that seem fair? No, burnout and lifeless are exactly the right words. And all that compounded with a little bit of, of like senioritis, like all-star break-itis. You know, I think there were some dudes mm, who were yeah. like, screw it, let's just get to the all-star break. I can tell you being in that clubhouse, very quiet, very lifeless, other than you got Riley Green and a couple other young dudes playing cards. Everyone else is just sitting there not talking, staring at their phones. Um, it's gone from being a tense environment to just kind of a environment of what feels like apathy. And, you know, the players are, you know, I don't know, maybe we're the same as writers because I feel like we've we've done a lot of just standing there and the pr- players are probably like, why are these dudes just standing there? And it's like, well, I don't know. You want us to ask you for the millionth time, like, why is the team bad? You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys don't want that. So, um, it's become a weird situation and just like not an enjoyable environment to be around. And that's kind of leading to one of my, my newest hot take is that whoever the Tigers might add to this team next year, like, I think you need to consider the, the 
character, the vibe of the clubhouse a little bit. Like this, you need some badasses, you know. Like you, you need someone who's gonna get angry every now and then, you know. You need somebody with some with some life, with some teeth. The closest thing I think you have to that sort of player is Javi Baez. But behind the scenes, you know, Javi's pretty quiet, keeps to himself a lot. Uh, you need someone who's going to inject some energy in that room. I think Riley Green is a good starting point. He's, he's you know, he's an energetic guy. Not necessarily, like, fiery, but he's, you know, he's lively. Um, this clubhouse just really lacks that, and so especially when you get in a circumstance like this where you're losing and you're on the verge of the All-Star break, feels like these guys kind of mailed in these first three games here against the Guardians. Well, you know, that's another callback to what we've, talked about um me from afar that's one of the things that i've always looked for and and i've kind of opined out loud about leadership in baseball and you know with the 162 games does it lend itself to maybe not you know does the fiery style like you hear stories that it does work but maybe those are more the exception than the rule you know, and I, I've been looking for that. I think that we've, we've touched on that a decent bit. And, and you're right. And, you know, is I don't know if this is a hot take. Tell me if this is a hot take. If they bring in somebody next year, it'd be nice if they show up for work. So that leads us to the next. If it leads us to the next topic. Uh, we've talked about it. A handful of times, but you did write about it this week on The Athletic, and I'll do the plug again. You get the subscription for like a dollar a month or six months or something like that. I mean, you're not you, that, that, that's a deal that you do and you forget how good it is. Uh, but it still exists, to my knowledge. Don't hold me to it. still exists. And you can read all of Cody's stories, a lot of interesting content. A lot of what I would classify of, of of like trying to piece together things there's a lot of stuff going on right now that requires some below surface thinking and, and and talking to people that are experts in certain fields and one of them is this like talking point it's it, it i think it's one of those things that just kind of got thrown out there and then now we have to talk about it, it wasn't necessarily sourced this idea of voiding eduardo rodriguez's contract and it was one of those things where it's just like oh they maybe could do this and now we just kind of have to talk about it and then you guys as journalists have to ask about it which is you know fair and what you should do and then of course AJ Hinch and Al Avila have to say like, well, I can't get into that and, you know, that dance. But in terms of... Well, here's the thing. If they weren't looking into voiding his contract, they could easily say like, I think I said this last week. Oh, no, like we expect, we hope Eduardo comes back. We want him to be here for like the next four years. Ain't what either of them have said. So that's why it's a story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Um... Far be it from me to say that's not a story. I 100% think it's a story. And as I've been on the record when it came to labor negotiations and then when it came to this specific issue, and uh, one of your sources in the story that I'm citing right now essentially quoted me saying how strong the MLP Players Association is, uh, you, you, you went into a little, uh, you know, in, into some depth about how it's it's not a very common practice 
There's been instances that I would probably say are more serious in nature where this has been attempted or in a lot of cases not even tried in terms of voiding a contract. Uh, let me let, let me kind of pose you the question like this. Did you learn anything talking to these you know, contractual labor negotiations, collective bargaining, experts, agents, guys who just kind of know um, about how this works. And I also would ask you as, you know, sort of like give you a platform, is this also a mismanagement by Eduardo's team? I would say yes, but I'm not the journalist. I'm not the one dealing with it. Um, I think I knew going in that it was really, really hard to void MLB contracts. I think the biggest thing I learned reporting this story is just how hard it is. Again, several guys throughout the history of, of the game have had criminal charges, even criminal convictions, and teams have attempted to void their to void their contract, and the union has filed a grievance and basically won or led to the team still settling and playing paying these players money. Eduardo, obviously, yeah, not something near that serious, but also a very unique instance. I looked and couldn't really find anything comparable of a guy just mostly inexplicably not <laughs> reporting to work. The closest thing I could think of or that an expert thought of was was Ben Simmons in the NBA this past year. <laughs> where it's just kind of like this weird, like, oh, he's hurt, but uh, he has mental health issues, but actually no one really knows. Like, we know even less with Eduardo. And again, I... I want you know you want to be sympathetic. I'm sure whatever Eduardo is dealing with is a, is a tough situation. You hope he's okay mentally, and that's where I continue to think his camp is mismanaging this by not providing any sort of information at all, by not even responding, by not diffusing anything off the record. Um, like there are ways to handle this, and it just doesn't seem like they they're they're doing it, and. Probably the funniest thing throughout the course of reporting, I just emailed this guy, Jeff Fanel, one of the leading, you know, kind of MLB labor attorneys, and he responded to me. And he's like, yeah, I can't talk to you because I work with Gene Mar Motto and I'm advising him on this Eduardo situation. I was like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, I'm going to include this. And uh, that tells you that, that Gene Motto and company are indeed bracing for something you know look going through the legalities to make sure that they can still get their guy paid it would seem um so it's not like they are it doesn't seem to indicate that they're expecting this to end smoothly either but at the end of the day man um i don't know if the tigers can get out of this thing uh maybe because this case is so unprecedented unprecedented of a guy just not showing up but it's it's a team just being able to get out of a deal is very rare. I mean, somehow the Yankees did it with Aaron Boone hurting himself playing pickup basketball, but other teams didn't do it when a guy, you know, had multiple DUI charges and stuff. So explain that one to me, you know. Um, same time, like, I have a really hard time picturing Eduardo Rodriguez just walking back through the doors of that clubhouse, whether it's in August or, or probably more likely next spring training and you know, embracing his teammates and standing in front of the media and we can be like, so Eduardo, how you been, man? What's you know, up, it's really hard to picture that like as a thing that can actually happen at this point. Uh, I don't know how it's going to end, but the idea of, of 
the Tigers and Eduardo just dissolving their relationship seems unlikely to me. Could the Tigers just theoretically keep him on the restricted list forever? Because remember, he's not getting paid right now. So for now, the Tigers are in good shape. That's another thing that probably in theory, but if Eduardo ever decides he wants to return and they basically don't allow him, like that's probably also going to lead to a grievance from the players union. So I don't know how this thing ends. I know it's weird and I just, I just have a hard time seeing it being a, a pretty amicable solution at this point. No, you're right. And there's a couple things that people, if, if you want to have a fair mind about this, these are a couple things that you have to keep in mind. Number one is that I believe the Tigers are within their right to, you know, if they choose to go that route in terms of voiding the contract, I think they have reason. I don't think that's unreasonable to say they have reason. Number two, if you're Eduardo's representatives, you will fight tooth and nail to and spin it however you want in order to make sure you're your, your client, doing the service to your client, gets his full compensation that he's entitled to. And number three, the job of the players' union is to always have the players back no matter what. So they're going to, if, if this goes down that road, they're going to file a grievance. And all these things are sort of expected. So all those things taking place should not rise any emotion because that's essentially their job to do it in, in a variety of ways. I will say this about the Boone thing, though, just a quick side note. I guess if you injure yourself in a physical activity that's not a baseball activity, that's probably a little bit easier to get out of than uh, from a contractual standpoint than, you know, just not showing up. I mean, it'd probably be similar to, like, you know, you get injured in a motorcycle accident, which my dad used to work at a Harley dealer in North Texas, a lot of uh, Dallas athletes had motorcycles that were on the hush-hush that they would store at my my the dealership my dad worked <laughs> at because they would be in um, violation of their contract. So I think that is a... Yeah, the, the Mets went through this with Ioannis Cespedes, who hurt himself doing something on his farm, you know, and I, uh, it's not like they were able to completely get out of it, but there was a little yeah. less clarity as to what exactly Ioannis... Yeah. <laughs> did in that instance that led to the injury yeah so i think the i think the number one thing that is of curious to me and like i would just love to get be a fly on the wall and see how it would react because this would happen when you guys you know wouldn't have eyes for it is like when he does walk through that clubhouse because that is the most likely scenario what what that reaction is because you know a player's instinct is to have a player's back but at the same time if you like you're hung out to dry like that's uh you know that's a little bit different so it's it, it, it's 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 as odd a situation as I can remember, and I love the quote and, and your story. I can't remember who did it. It was like, well, this is the NFL. It wouldn't even be an issue. It'd just be cut. <laughs> but baseball, with that strong union, guaranteed contracts, baby. Guaranteed contracts. Um, Real quick, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this. I, I, uh, I had a feeling... And then I kind of looked at like the the game logs, and my feeling was stronger than what the game log suggested. So I don't know if that makes sense. 
But I was like, you know, it just kind of feels like a little phase out, a little phase out of Jamer Candelario. And then I looked at the game logs. I was like, well, you know, he's not playing every day, but he's playing more than what my sort of like gut tells me is what's happening. I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels like he's playing every third day or my recollection of his impact makes it feel like he's playing every third day and he's not he's playing more than that but i still maintain it kind of feels like a little bit of a like a benching phase out if you guys no aj says much post game today i mean you didn't say it was a benching or a phase out but it's like why why isn't jamer played in two days and it was you know we really have to just reset and get him right for the second half which sounds like I don't know, like, is, is this an extended mental break for him? Like, I think the more, like, yeah, I think it's a little, feels a little bit more like a phase out to me, and I'm sure he'll play more post-All-Star break, but if it doesn't go well, man, I don't, uh, no, I think you're onto something there. I think you're onto something there. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, you know, as we had talked about, Jamer was a guy that kind of won us over a little bit, and, and then, you know, that went downhill. That went downhill. So, when a team can't hit and then you also can't Hold hit. Hold on. Here's, 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 here's a fun one. I mean, this is – we'll have months to talk about this, but who in the world is going to be your third baseman next year? Like, I looked at the list of free agents. It's a lot of uh, – Older guys and dudes who aren't really very good. So unless you, uh, I mean, there there are plenty of things you can do, but I think you know maybe Kreidler. But I think if Ryan Kreidler is your opening day third baseman, that's not great. You know, I like Ryan Kreidler. That wouldn't be good. Yeah, it's as fun as it is somewhat depressing of a thought exercise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's. You know, it's funny, and we'll get into this uh, more come trade deadline time, but I was, I was hanging out with my parents this morning, and uh, my dad's asking for like a like a micro version of what's going on with the Tigers, and and uh, and I'm like, you know, it's not great. It's not very good. And the thing about baseball is that problems today are the results of mistakes three years ago, four years ago, two years ago. And so, therefore, the solution is not available tomorrow. And that's what makes this a complicated situation for the Tigers. Not a good one. A complicated one. Alright, well, you know, the big news of the day and the weekend and leading into next week, and pretty much every day until August 2nd, is Mr. We-Will-Not-Trade-Him-Juan Soto is now being explored of being traded because he turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract. Reminder, this is his age 24 season, if I'm not mistaken. Ken Rosenthal had it first, I believe. Shout out Ken on The Athletic. It seems to me 
that every team's going to want to make a run at Juan Soto. And, you know, I... Listeners of this podcast know. I love Juan Soto. I love Juan Soto. I was looking at it. As of right now, I don't know, really, given the circumstances, I don't know if I can support a trade for Juan Soto. Even if they had the assets that the Nationals would say yes to. Because if they did, the Nationals are going to want pieces now, pieces in the future, and... If you're turning down 15 years, 440 million, I know like the average per year wasn't necessarily what they would have want. I know it's more complicated than that, but you're turning down that contract. Scott Boris is your agent. Heard of him? Kind of likes to get guys big money. You're if you're the Tigers right now, you're further away than what you thought you were in January and February. And so you're going to get this guy for two seasons. And then he's 1,000% going to go to free agency and you could lose him for nothing. Or then you have to do this thing where do we trade him because we're not where we want to be. As great as he is, forever it's worth, he's having a down year right now. I just think it makes more sense to not even bother. Explore it. Do your due diligence. But it makes more sense to not even bother. To, to know that it just isn't the right time, not the right fit, not the right circumstances for your franchise, for what he's trying to do. That is my Soto take, Cody. Is there anything that is wrong with it? I think it's fun to dream about the idea of the Tigers putting together some package for Juan Soto. Ultimately, I don't think it would be a prudent move given where the Tigers are at in their timeline. I think it was Jeff Passan, you know, quoted some executive. What would it take to get Soto? Well, probably the biggest trade ever, a Herschel Walker trade. Uh, The closest thing I can think of is what the Tigers traded to get Miguel Cabrera 15 years ago. And the Tigers did that under very different circumstances. It would probably be a bigger return in this case because the Nationals aren't necessarily just trying to dump payroll um, I mean, I seriously think it would be like Scooble, Torkelson, and like two pretty good prospects. Like, I think that might be the type of deal it would take. And if you're the Tigers, you don't have a lot of pieces right now. You can't mm-hmm. trade a couple of the pieces you do have for one guy, um, especially mm-hmm. if you're trading more dudes on the farm. As much as Juan Soto is the type of bat you would love to have, I think you would have to sacrifice too much to even um, approach the idea of being in play for such a trade, and you would have to part with too many pieces. It would leave you with too bare of a covered um, all for one guy when the whole trick the Tigers are dealing with right now is how do we build a team? How do we assemble a deep 26-man roster, a deep 40-man roster, and keep the farm system churning? Uh, I, think, I think going after Juan Soto would ultimately be counterproductive there. For as much fun as it would as it would be, I think it's better suited for a team that already has established pieces and has good rising prospects. <clears throat> Dodgers. All right, so again, this is essentially like our part one. We're going to make it one podcast. Uh, but this is the last thing we'll talk about before we sort of start our own part two. And it's going to be draft reaction. So I wanted to get this out here right now before the draft you revisited the jackson joe versus marcelo meyer uh 
decision and how the Tigers were more or less on an island when it came to taking Job over Meyer and the circumstances surrounding each of them. Meyer has done what was expected of a guy taking that high. He's done nothing to say that he wouldn't have been the right pick at, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, wherever he was gonna get picked as of right now, it'd be it'd be nice early returns. And and Job is the definition of a slow roll of development. It's not to say that it won't work, but that's what it is right now. So I guess I would just kind of say this, Cody. What is sort of the right assessment, given that really it doesn't matter what they're each doing one year from the draft when they're still in the, not the barrels of minor league baseball, but you know what I mean. Like they're they're not close to the players that they will end up being to high school guys. What's the fairest assessment one What's the fairest assessment of an unfair assessment one year later, Jackson Joe versus Marcella Meyer? <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely the way to put it. Uh, we can't make a final verdict on this decision for many, many years. But right now, in the moment, this, this snapshot in time, I think it looks even worse than it did on draft day when it was a pretty big surprise. Um, I'm trying to think of my reaction at the time. I think I said something along the lines of, oh, I would have taken Meyer, but I almost respect the Tigers' audacity for just sticking to their guns, taking their guy, but you better be right. I think that's pretty much how I framed it. And too early to tell if they're definitively right or wrong, but I can tell you Jackson Job is not the most polished high school pitcher of all time. He looks to me like a talented high school pitcher who maybe would have gone in the later part of the, the first round and in most drafts. Uh, I think he has the, the chance to be a really good major leaguer, but he's got a lot of work to do in becoming a well-rounded pitcher, and that doesn't mesh with what the Tigers told us at the time. Marcelo Meyer, on the other hand, seems to mesh what with what uh, the scouting reports indicated he was at the time, which is a really good fielder, a good hitter with a patient plate approach, um, a guy who looks like he can begin to advance pretty quickly. So I think it looks worse. I think one player has met what they were billed to be, another one not quite so much. Granted, the Tigers have been very cautious, very conservative with Job. The bottom line, you can go look at his numbers. Um, they're not great for low A. Um, it's it's going to take some time. In his By the way, Jordan Lawler's in the Futures game that's happening right now, so that's a it's another feather in the cap, I guess. Yeah, and, and everyone who thought Jordan Jordan Lawler like couldn't hit was apparently wrong, and yep. a lot of people thought yep. that because he's an exact an exact science. Um, I'll repeat, and I'll have. Depending on what the Tigers do tomorrow, I'll have a longer tangent, but I'll kind of sum it up, wrap it up like this. Um, to me, I get it. I get the justification for the Joe pick. I would have taken Meyer. I was on record right. then of saying it. I've said it several times. I get why. I just would not have gone that direction. Uh, so... People, maybe people won't believe you, Cody, but we are recording this on Saturday, and we'll come back, and it'll be right after this. Real quick, gut instinct, who the Tigers picking tomorrow? I keep hearing Connor Prelip out of, out of Alabama. 
Kind of hope I'm wrong. Kind of hope it's a bat. I do think <laughs> it depends what hitters are available. Um, but if I had to guess right now, I'd say Connor Prelip, left-handed pitcher. Who would I take? I would take I would take Gavin Cross out of Virginia Tech. Uh, my number two would be Jay Xiong out of Texas Tech. Those would be my guys. I love me some Jace, and I'll I'll leave with this. I have gambling odds for the MLB draft, and they have over unders on posi- on uh, where guys will get drafted. And Zach Nito, his over under the shortstop from Campbell, his over under, and it's basically the same odds either way, is twelve and a half. Tigers pick 12. Ooh, I like that. And I like Zach Neto as well. Oh, Neto, um, sorry. I think he could be another good pick for him. So I, I think it's Neto. I don't I could be wrong. I don't even know if I'm saying prelip right. Prelip, <laughs> you know. These are things you learn uh, on draft day. <laughs> exactly. So we'll, we'll see what the Tigers do tomorrow. All right. So we're back, even though as this records like we didn't really go anywhere but we're now recording post first round draft pick for the detroit tigers 12th overall and uh, i gotta be honest i really anticipated coming on here cody having to sort of be a fireman and just kind of put out some fires i was like they're gonna take an arm Maybe a high school arm, maybe a college arm, and, you know, just rewind 45 seconds, and you said that's like, oh, there you go, it's kind of looking like this right now. And I don't have to do that. I was gonna, I was prepared to be like, look, it's best player available, you just gotta, like, this is a long-term projection, if this is the best guy on your board, you gotta take him. This was... A pretty crazy draft. It, there were some twists that were not anticipated up until really they happened. Namely, your boy, Kumar Rocker, going third Kumar. overall. Higher than he went last year. What is going on? Scott Boris is Jesus, as I texted you <laughs> earlier today. Uh, and then there were a couple other college arms. Cubs take a, took, a, took an arm, as did the uh, Rockies. And what it did was it allowed the Tigers to get one of the better college bats in this draft, Jace Young. I know it looks like Jung, but remember Anchorman? It's a soft J. It's Young. Drafted as a second baseman technically, but that doesn't really matter. He's a bat, and then he's an infielder. Maybe you could. Maybe there's left field in his future. Maybe it doesn't matter. He is a bat. He's a guy who hit in the Big 12 all three years he was there. I remember when his older brother Josh was drafted. There was a lot of conversations about, uh, I believe he went to the Rangers a couple years ago, eighth overall. There's a lot of conversations like, hey, by the way, you know, the younger brother, younger brother looks a lot better. And that was the talk here in Texas. And they took a college bat in the words of uh, Kevin Bacon in Animal House, all is well! All is well! Shout out Kevin Bacon, shout out Animal House. I like this pick, Cody. I like 
the fact that there's not a... You could say maybe he wasn't the best player available, but he was in that realm of best player available, and you're picking 12, you're at the mercy of 11 other teams. That's just a fact of it. And they took a guy who's got a track record for hitting. I don't need to break the news to anybody, but that's something that this organization needs. And... I don't know. It seems as simple as that to me. I like you said you you texted me and you did break it on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I was like, I like it. I like it. I like it. I said this three minutes ago on this podcast. I I like Jace Young. I have no qualms with this pick. There are no fires on Tigers Twitter right now. Overall, it's a good night for the Tigers, especially considering that there was no game today to complain about. But you reporting on it, sourcing it, trying to break the news, your analysis of taking Jace Young from Texas Tech. All right, a few things. Number one, why does breaking MLB not MLB draft picks not get the same hype as breaking NBA draft picks? It should. Come on. Come it on. What are it we should. Doing? It should. I get why, but I like to joke around about that. Number two, Look, all the Connor Prelip talk, I definitely don't think that was unfounded. I think there was absolutely a draft scenario in which Gavin Cross and Jace Young and potentially Zach Neto were all off the board. I think the Tigers would have gone Prelip in that situation. But good news is when push came to shove, the Tigers decided they wanted a bat if the right guy was there. Okay, so it doesn't sound like Prelip was the top guy on the board. Um, I think that's reassuring for, for the fan base out there. Uh, my guy Gavin Cross goes at number nine, mm-hmm. and in Young, I think the Tigers got uh, the closest to a sure thing bat of the remaining players. You know, there's Neto, who's a better defender. It can hit a little bit too. There's some people calling for Cam Collier. Well, I don't know. A bunch of other teams passed on Cam Collier too. Uh, he's got big upside, but he's also 17 and, and comes with some more uncertainty. I think Young was the right pick based on the guys available. Um, I've liked Young, his bat, for a long time. He was one of the first guys the Tigers were really big on this spring. And he's a hitter, you know. You say you want a hitter, I don't think you can be complaining um, about getting Josh Young. He, you know, his go watch some video of him if you haven't seen him. Look how he holds his bat. It's so weird. It's so interesting. But... The angle at which he holds the bat allows him to get the barrel through the strike zone. When I watch it, I'm either like, this is going to completely fail against upper end pitching, or everyone is about to start holding their bat like this, you know? Um, It's really interesting. Defense is going to be the big question. Is he a second baseman, or will he have to move elsewhere? If he has to move elsewhere, where is that? Um, He's a little bit of a stockier guy. I don't think he's ultra quick. Uh, grades out, you know, from scouts is a pretty mediocre second baseman. I'll be curious to see him move in person. I think if he's got decent hands, you can probably keep him there at second. Even if he's not great, the bat will make up for it. Uh, his arm gets knocked a lot, so the chances of him playing third, which he did a little bit, I think his freshman year at Tech, probably not going to happen. Maybe he could move to an outfield corner. Maybe he could even play first but that depends what happens with Spencer Torkelson who we're about to talk about um, a little later um 
I think ideally, if you're the Tigers, and, and I'll talk to Scott Plyce about this later tonight, but you hope he can stick at second. That would be my guess, at least. You definitely give him the opportunity to do so. He's not quite that five-tool player, but I've had multiple scouts be like, this is a guy who could hit 300 in the big leagues, and it's not like he doesn't have pop. Is that 15 homers, 20 homers, 30 homers? That kind of remains to be seen. But he's got some power. He can hit to all fields. Covers the strike zone well. A lot of guy, a lot of people think this is probably the best pure hitter of that college crop. Um, so right now here on draft night, I feel pretty good about this pick for the Tigers. Yeah, you know, there's a weird thing when it comes to you know people get fixated on hitting stances and how you hold the bat in advance of the pitch. I think a lot of scouts will say. And as always, Cody, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of scouts will say, well, don't look at what it looks like beforehand. Look at what it looks like as the pitch is coming in. And then obviously the point of contact, those are higher emphasis than just how how you hold the bat. And so I'm not too worried about that. Um, I'll share this briefly. Uh, I have a buddy who uh, is a Texas Tech graduate and actually watches like every Texas Tech baseball game. This was last week. He had texted me about like whether the Tigers wanted wanted Jace or not. And I was like, yeah, they're definitely interested, obviously, based on your sourcing and reporting. And he goes, do they need, have a need at need third base? I feel like that's where he's most likely to play. And I was like, well, yes, they technically do, but also it doesn't matter. <laughs> because they just they love his bat they they need bats and his opinion is that he would probably end up at third base i don't know okay you know whether that's uh whether his arm holds up there you know is another discussion we'll see but the bottom line is you got yourself a guy who if his potential is 300 I don't need to tell you what the batting averages of Janner Candelario are or Jonathan Scope, who's obviously his defense is top notch, but yeah, look, look what we're talking about here. Look at, look at where the state of the franchise is and not to mention his contract, blah, blah, blah. All those things are, you know, far out projections. Um, They got a guy that they can, unlike last year, they don't have to sit him for a year. Maybe they slow roam a little bit, but they don't have to sit him for a year, and uh, and, and and that's reassuring. They they got a guy who wants to play some baseball right away, and and I respect that. By the way, just before I forget to mention it, uh, Cam Collier went 18th to the Cleveland Guardians. So just whether he signs there, I know there were some concerns with that. Whether that will play out, who knows? But that was a guy that fell a little bit. But the bottom the bottom line is they got a guy that a lot of people feel good about, not great about, but a twelfth overall pick. You're you're really not gonna get somebody that just everybody's gonna feel great about. They got they got themselves a baseball player with a baseball pedigree. I believe that that is something that should be happy that fans should be happy about. I gotta let me pull up. Uh, I want to shout out your athletic colleague, Keith Law, friend of the podcast, uh, for some of his scouting report on uh, on Young. And, uh, 
in regards to his uh well, the way he holds his bat he holds his bat like he i'm paraphrasing here like it stinks or it's covered in toxic fungus is what the words were there Okay. Um, or cooties, or cooties is cooties. what is That's what an interesting choice is what Keith said. But he hits well. He's a career, easy, you know, well above three hundred hitter in the Big Twelve, which is a top tier baseball conference. Not not the best one, but a top tier baseball conference. And I'm gonna try to get the highlights here. Obviously, the younger brother of Josh Young for the Rangers. And he gets the bat head into the zone with plenty of time to make consistent, high-quality contact, including power, with 21 home runs as a sophomore and 14 this year as a junior. His position is the main question. He's mostly played second base in college. Not that well, Keith adds, and I'm not disagreeing with that. Doesn't have the arm for the left side of the field or the speed to play anywhere else but left field or first base. So obviously... If things go well, he's not playing first base for the Tigers. Left field is obviously relatively open. There's enough reason to buy his bat that he's going in the top 10 picks. Tigers pick 12th. So, you took a player with some obvious pluses and some obvious flaws. And overall, I feel okay about doing that at 12, especially given where we were prepared for a picture. I, I, I was prepared for all kinds of scenarios today, Cody. I was like, well, you this, know, This Cody's... would have been a more fun pod if we were putting out a picture fire. Yo, well, I, I was, I was going to be like, Cody, you said you want guys that have already had Tommy John because they're good. Like, I was, <laughs> I was prepared for all of these things. And there were actually more bats, and we're not going to go into all of them, but there were more bats available than what most mock drafts kind of dictated when when the Tigers picked, which to me tells me, and your reporting has backed this up, that they 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 like Jace, they like Jace, and and so in multiple facets they got their guy. So is there? Um, oh, well, actually, let me let me kind of say, I want to give a shout out to the Woodward Sports Live YouTube show. They gave you credit, Cody, mm. for breaking the story, and Mr. Castillo said Cody's the man. So if he's saying that mm. Jace Young is the pick, then and and, and it was kind of weird on the broadcast, the MLB broadcast, because there was like this long commercial break when the pick was in. So <laughs> those guys had to fill time. Shout out to all of them: Chris Brown, Scott Bentley, uh, Trevor. And so, like, they had to, uh, they had to kind of fill time when it, before it was official. But you got credit at least on that broadcast, and so I want to make note of that. And they were happy with the pick as well. Is there anything else that we need to cover with this Jace Young pick? I mean, I really think that covers it all. Um, I guess we could talk a little bit about just what happens. You know, I do think unlike Jackson Joe because he's a hitter. He's going to be playing right away, and because he's a college hitter, um, you know, he might, I think he's at least playing in Lakeland by the end of this year, maybe give him a couple games in the complex league just to get going, and then 
Uh, I say why not put him in low A Lakeland right off the bat. If he happens to tear it up, heck, you could put him in West Michigan. I wouldn't rush it unless I, he's really I, dominating. I think he's getting the he West could, Michigan. That's like my you could, yeah, I mean, he's a he's a proven college hitter, so I, I think he absolutely could. Um, I think those things are kind of one line uh, for the timeline. And if all goes well, he's probably spending most of the year in Erie and then moving dependent on you know his performance after that. So there's a chance that if this pick goes well, it's a pretty quick route to the big leagues. That's what you get when you go college hitter. What a concept. <laughs> <laughs> and not to say that, you know, the other move is the right move, but. Uh, the, the Riley Green guy worked out okay. So, he, yeah. he worked out okay, and Spencer Torkelson, Spencer had, Torkelson. A quick, had a quick rise. And now he's going to get a little bit of a reset, which leads us to the uh, number two topic of the day. (sighs) You know, it kind of sucks. It sucks for multiple reasons that Spencer is being, you know, optioned to Toledo. Number one, obviously it means that, you know, he's not performing well enough. That's, That's the given, right? Number two, the day it happens has to be... The day of the MLB draft, so I, I I put on MLB Network, and they're looking at you know they're showing highlights of uh, the last several number one overall picks, and they you know show his like first career home run, and it's like yeah, damn, <laughs> because he just because <laughs> he just got optioned down today. The timing was unfortunate. Um, you know, from my perspective, I think I was pretty fair on this the entire time, or fair-minded, I should say, the entire time, where I was like, you know, I didn't want to just move him down. I highly valued his defense, and I thought that he's still going to be better off facing Major League pitching than AAA pitching. I had probably said that, I don't know, six podcasts at this point i mean it was a point that unfortunately kind of had to be repeated and i kind of have to accept defeat on that in the way in the sense that he the tigers determined and supposedly he was amicable to this decision i don't want to say supposedly that's the wrong word but you know, you guys reported via AJ Hanshaw, but he's ample cool with his decision that uh, to go down to Toledo, get himself a little reset, and figure out his stuff without the shine of being in the big leagues. And in a way, you know, it doesn't go against his overall record, obviously, because he's not going to be, you know, it's not going to go up against his. Major League Baseball reference stats. Uh, it's unfortunate. It's not something that we would have predicted going going into the season. But here we are. So I kind of accept defeat and hoping that he would get it go- going well enough that this wasn't necessary. But I'm not going to sit here and say right now that uh, this was an unnecessary move. I get it completely. I... Didn't think it would get to this point, but it got to this point. Yeah, I think it was 
a little overdue. I mean, I think I had alluded to it a couple times that I thought it was kind of time to send him down. I was never banging the you table did. for it because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah. You know, I think the Tigers, uh, the major league coaching staff especially, were a little stubborn about thinking, let's just get him going. And it, it didn't happen. And for as much as he was upbeat and he was positive, like this had to be bothering him more than maybe he outwardly showed. I mean, here's the number one overall pick guy who's other than his first spring training rarely struggled in his entire life and he's hitting under 200 and he just can't get it going and he's not driving the ball and the more I started to watch him every time it looked like he was starting to have some better swings he just couldn't keep it going consistently he was late all the time sitting like 147 on middle middle pitches I was trying to get in like a technical answer from someone like, why is he not hitting pitches down the middle? And I don't know, AJ kind of went into it talking about the stiff front leg thing, but really like Craig Monroe explained it to me best. And I kind of still can't like relay the way Craig explained it. But bottom line is, and, and I was watching him a lot in BP this week in Cleveland. I was like, this is one of those swings. If you want to doubt Jace Young, you know, consider Everyone thought Spencer Torkelson had a very high floor coming out of the draft, and, and perhaps he still does. If you you know this sure thing, well, Torkelson was supposed to be a sure thing. He had such a clean technical swing. Now we're seeing how unathletic he is in the box, and I wonder. I almost want to you know me being a very amateur hitting coach who knows you know not qualified to teach guys how to hit. I want to stand him up, and I want to get him going with a little leg kick, a little timing mechanism. I want to get him shifting his weight. Uh, so he can unleash that power. I mean, I wonder if it's time to think about a pretty serious swing overhaul because the eye, the decision-making of a good hitter is there. Um, he's got the strength, and it's just not coming together. I think his mechanics are too stilted, and it sure seems like Torkelson's been a little reluctant to change that. I know, you know, it's not like the coaches, not like Scott Kuba, AJ Hinch, haven't talked to him about this, but I have not seen real mechanical adjustments um it's asking a lot for a guy to overhaul his swing but i think some kind of tweak is going to have to happen um to get him going again to get him athletic to get him driving the baseball to get that barrel through the zone um and and again his confidence like sure he, he was positive and whatever in the majors i think it'll be good man if he just gets rolling in triple a is able to clear his mind seen that work for guys before i i think he needed it i think it's uh it was overdue glad it finally happened well you know i i hate to bring this up in my mind because it's not necessarily a good omen but it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about with matt manning last year and like what he was having to work on and it's like, well, is it really fair for him to like work on these pitches, these mechanics, while he's in the big leagues? And same thing with Torkelson. Is it really like fair to ask him to do like some sort of mechanical switch in his swing while he's in the midst of a season? Maybe that's an off-season thing. Uh, Lloyd McClendon being the AAA, the Toledo manager. Uh, this is one of those things where it's probably good that he's down there, former big league hitting Definitely. coach, and obviously, you know, major league manager who's seen everything that this game 
has to offer so so that'll be good for him uh do you want to make a prediction on whether we see him again in a Tigers uniform? We're definitely going to see him in a Tigers uniform again. Well, I, I meant this year. About- I'm <laughs> this year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're, he's not getting DFA. No, he's. He, I think he's going to be just fine. I still think he's going to be a really good player. I think the struggles were enough where it makes you wonder, like, is he ever going to reach that MVP ceiling? Like, it, it was bad enough where it, it makes me question – the absolute ceiling, but yeah, I think he's back up by by um, September at the latest. I think we'll absolutely see Torque again. I I still have faith that he's going to get it together and he's going to have a good career. Um, but he can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. It's going to take um, some flexibility from the organization, and it's going to take him implementing some suggestions to get himself back on track. Yeah, and that's exactly what this trip is uh, intended. To be uh, just a, a couple quick uh, Jace Young points. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys watched the MLB Network broadcast, but there were comparisons to Rod Carew. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. <laughs> Rod Carew, yikes! And uh, Mickey Tettleton. Shout out Oklahoma State. Shout out Tigers alumni. There we go. There we go. Shout out Jackson yes. Holiday, number one overall Not pick. Not going to play for Oklahoma State, unfortunately, it seems. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Jason Kip, uh, Kipnis. Uh, I'm sorry. Kipnis. Uh, Kipnis. Yeah, good, that that's was a brought up a couple times. Right so, uh, so, 12th overall pick. Uh, you know, if he becomes Raw Crew, that'd be pretty good. And uh, if, he's, if he's Mickey... <laughs> I'm gonna if go with Mickey, Jason. That'd be all right, and if he's Jason, that'd be that'd be okay as well. So, um, anything else, Cody? You want to add before we get out of here? Uh, no, busy busy week. I know this pod's kind of reversed. Uh, if anyone just fast forwarded to the 30 minute mark or whatever, feel free to rewind now and, and go listen to the first half of the pod. You know, unfortunately, our editors Olive and Merle yes. they're they're sometimes not that helpful. So this is just kind of how it had to come together. <laughs> <laughs> Merle insisted on sleeping after watching the the draft. He insisted on sleeping on while we recorded the second part. So uh, Merle is uh, literally sleeping at the wheel <laughs> as an editor. Um, so you can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen, where he breaks draft news, and you can follow me at Kieran underscore Stackley, where I mainly tweet gifts because that's what the kids like. And you can follow our podcast page at Turn Corner Pod. And please subscribe, rate, and review Apple, Spotify. We greatly appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Hope you guys believe us that we said we did one part and two part. Uh, You know, I hope you don't think we're liars. We keep it honest here. I feel like we keep it honest. And so, uh, a to kind of recap. Not that grave a week watching Tigers baseball, but on Sunday, a lot of good feelings with the Jace Young pick. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great day.